0: chapter 11 of deerbrook this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org deerbrook by harriet martineau chapter 11 mediation <sighs> mr hope's case turned out more favorably than any of his attendants and friends had ventured to anticipate For some days, the symptoms continued as alarming as at first, but from the hour that he began to amend, his progress towards recovery was without drawback and unusually rapid. Within a month, the news circulated through the village that he had been safely brought home to his own lodgings, and the day after, the ladies at Mr. Gray's were startled by seeing him alight from a gig at the door, and walk up the steps feebly but without assistance he could not stay away any longer he declared he had been above a month shut up in a dim room without seeing any faces but of doctor nurse and mrs gray and debarred from books now he was well enough to prescribe for himself and he was sure that a little society and a gradual return to his usual habits of life would do him more good than anything mrs gray kept all her own children out of sight during this first visit that mr hope might not see too many faces at once she admitted only hester and margaret and alice who brought him some refreshment the girl made him a low curtsy and looked at him with an expression of awe and pleasure which brought tears into the eyes of even her mistress mr hope had been a benefactor to this girl he had brought her through a fever she had of late little expected ever to see him again mr hope replied to her mute looks thank you alice i am much better i hope to be quite well soon did not you make some of the good things mrs gray had been kind enough to bring me i thought so well i'm much obliged to you and to everybody who has been taking pains to make me well i do not know how it is he continued when alice had left the room but things do not appear as they used to do perhaps my eyes are dim still but the room does not seem bright and none of you look well and merry Mrs. Gray observed that she had drawn the blinds down, thinking he would find it a relief after the sunshine. Margaret said ingenuously, "'We are all well, I assure you, but you should not wonder if you find us rather grave. Much has happened since we met. We have been thinking of you with great anxiety for so long that we cannot on a sudden talk as lightly as when you used to come in every day.' "'Ah,' said he, "'I little thought at one time that I should ever see any of you again in this world. "'We have thought of you as near death,' said Margaret, "'and since that as having a sick-room experience which we respect and stand in awe of, "'and that is reason enough for our looking grave. "'You feel as if you had to become acquainted with me over again. "'Well, we must lose no time. "'Here is a month gone, and I can give no account of.' "'Hester felt how differently the case stood with her.' The last month had been the longest she had ever known. Tedious as to the state captive, serving his novitiate to prism life. She would have been thankful to say that she could give no account of the past month. She inquired how the accident happened, for this was still a mystery to everybody. Mr. Hope could not clear up the matter. He remembered parting with Sydney and trotting with the brittle of the pony in his hand to the top of the ascent the point where sydney lost sight of him he had no distinct remembrance of anything more only a sort of impression of his horse rearing bolt upright he had never been thrown before and his supposition was that a stone cast from behind the hedge might have struck his horse but he really knew no more of the affair than anyone else the ladies all trusted he would not ride the same horse again but this he would not promise his horse was an old friend and he was not in a hurry to part with old friends he was glad to find that miss young had not laid the blame on the pony but had ridden it through the woods as if nothing had happened not exactly so said margaret smiling the young folks did not enjoy their excursion very much i fancy said mrs gray smiling also mrs Rowland was quite put out poor soul you know she thinks everything goes wrong on purpose to plague her I think she had some higher feelings on that occasion, said Mr. Hope, gently, but gravely. I am indebted to her for a very anxious concern on my account, and for kind offices in which perhaps none of my many generous friends have surpassed her. Mrs. Gray, somewhat abashed, said that Mrs. Rowland had some good qualities. It was only a pity that her unhappy temper did not allow them fair play. It is a pity, observed Mr. Hope and it is at the same time an appeal to us to allow her the fair play she does not afford herself. That sofa looks delightfully comfortable, Mrs. Gray. Oh, you are tired. You are faint, perhaps. Shall I ring? said Hester, moving to the bar. No, no, said he, laughing. I am very well at present. I only mean that I should like to stay all day. If you will let me, I am sure that sofa is full as comfortable as my own. I may stay. May I not? No, indeed you shall not, this first day. If you will go away now before you are tired, and if I find when I look in upon you this evening that you are not the worse for this feat, you shall stay longer to-morrow, but I assure you it is time you were at home now. My dears, just see whether the gig is at the door. So I only sent away by begging to stay, said Mr. Hope. Well, I have been giving orders to sick people for many years that I suppose it is fairly my turn to obey now. May I ask you to send to Widow Rise today? I looked in as I came, and her child is in want of better food, better cooked than she is able to give him. I will send him a dinner from our table. You are not going to see any more patients today, I hope, only two that lie quite in my road. If you send me away, you must take the consequences. Farewell till tomorrow mr gray and i shall look in upon you this evening now do not look about you out of the doors to catch anybody's eye or will you be visiting a dozen patients between this house and your own there were indeed many people standing about within sight of mr Grey's door to see mr hope come out all mr Grey's children and servants were peeping through the shrubbery mrs Enderby waved her hand from a lower, and two maids looked out from an upper window. The old man of a hundred years, who was sunning himself on the bank as usual, rose and took off his hat, and the little Reeves and their schoolfellows stood whispering to one another that mr Hope looked really bad still. mrs Plumstead dropped a low curtsey, as she stood taking in the letter bag, at her distant door mrs gray observed to hester on the respect which was paid to mr hope all through the place as if hester was not feeling it in her heart of hearts at the moment mrs gray flattered herself that mr hope was thinking of hester when he said his friends did not look well she had been growing thinner and paler for the last month and no doubt remained in mrs Grey's mind about the cause hester had commanded herself to her sister's admiration but she could not command her health and that was giving way under perpetual feelings of anxiety and humiliation mrs gray thought all this had gone quite far enough she was more fond and proud of hester every day and more impatient that she should be happy the more she watched her she spoke to margaret about her margaret was prepared for this having foreseen its probability and her answers while perfectly true and sincere, were so guarded that Mrs. Gray drew from them the comfortable inference that she alone penetrated the matter, and understood Hester's state of mind. She came to the resolution, at last, of making the young people happy a little sooner than they could have managed the affair for themselves. She would help them, to an understanding, but it should be with all possible delicacy and reward to their feelings. Not even Mr. Gray should know what she was about, opportunities were not wanting when are opportunities wanting to matchmakers if such do not find means of carrying their points they can construct them few matchmakers go to work so innocently and securely as mrs gray for few can be so certain of the inclinations of the parties as she believed herself her own admiration of hester was so exclusive and the superiority of hester's beauty so unquestionable that it never occurred to her that the attraction which drew mr hope to the house could be any other than this about the state of hester's affections she felt justly confident and so in her view nothing remained to be done but to save her from further pining by bridging about an explanation she was frequently with mr hope at his lodgings during his recovery seeing that he took his afternoon rest and beguiling a part of his evenings in short watching over him as over a son and declaring to hester that he was no less dear to her one evening when she was spending an hour in mr hope's parlour where mr grey had deposited her till nine o'clock when he was to call her she made the same affectionate declaration to mr hope himself that he was as dear to her as if he had been her own son and she continued I shall speak to you with the same freedom as I should use with Sydney, and may perhaps ten years hence. Pray do, said Mr. Hope, I shall be glad to hear anything you have to say. Are you going to find fault with me? Oh dear, no, what fault should I have to find with you, unless, indeed, it be a fault or a folly to leave your own happiness and that of another person in needless uncertainty? Mr. Hope changed color quite to the extent of her wishes i know continued she that your illness has put a stop to everything and that it has left you little nerve for any explanation of the kind but you are growing stronger every day now and the case is becoming so serious on the other side that i own i dread the consequences of much further delay you see i speak openly she had every encouragement to do so for mr hope's countenance was flushed with what appeared to her to be delight You observed yourself, you know, that Hester did not look well, and indeed the few weeks after your accident were so trying to her, the exertions she made to conceal her feelings were so, but I must spare her delicacy, I trust you are quite assured that she has not the most remote idea of my speaking to you thus, indeed no human being is in the least aware of it, Hester, Miss Ibbotson, pray, Mrs. Gray, do not say another word. Let us talk of something else. Presently, when I have finished, you must have seen that I love this dear girl as a daughter, and there is not a thought of her heart that she can conceal from me, though her delicacy is so great that I am confident she thinks me unaware of her state of mind at this moment. But I saw how the affair was going from the very beginning, and the failure of her health and looks since your accident have left me no doubt whatever. "'and have made me feel it my duty to give you the encouragement your modesty requires "'and to confide to you how wholly her happiness lies in your hands. "'Hester, Miss Ibbotson, I assure you, Mrs. Gray, you must be completely mistaken. "'I beg your pardon. I am not so easily mistaken as some people. "'There is Mrs. Rowland now. I am sure she fancies that her brother is in love with Hester.' when it is plain to everybody but herself that he and my other young cousin are coming to a conclusion as fast as need be however i know you do not like to hear me find fault with mrs rowland and besides i have no right to tell margaret's secrets so we will say no more about that mr hope sighed heavily these remarks upon enderby and margaret accorded but too well with his own observations He could not let Mrs. Gray proceed without opposition, but all he was capable of was to repeat that she was entirely mistaken. Yes, that is what men like you always say, in all sincerity, of course. Your modesty always stands in the way of your happiness for a while, but you are no losers by it. The happiness is all the sweeter when it comes at last. But that is not what I mean. You have made it difficult for me to explain myself. I hardly know how to say it, but it must not be said. You have mistaken my intentions, mistaken them altogether. It was now Mrs. Grace's turn to change color. She asked in a trembling voice, Do you mean to say, Mr. Hope, that you have not been paying attentions to Hester Ibbotson? I do say so, that I have paid no attentions of the nature, you suppose. You compel me to speak plainly. Then I must speak plainly, too, Mr. Hope. If anyone had told me you would play the part you have played, I should have resented the imputation as I resent your conduct now. If you have not intended to win Hester's affections, you have behaved infamously. You have won her attachment by attentions which have never varied from the very first evening that she entered our house till this afternoon. You have amused yourself with her, it seems, and now you are going to break her heart stop stop mrs gray i cannot hear this there is not a soul in the place that does not think as i do there is not a soul that will not say let us put aside what people may say if by any imprudence of my own i have brought blame upon myself i must bear it the important point is surely mrs gray it is possible that you may be in error about miss ibbotson's miss ibbotson's state of mind No mr hope it is not possible and being in for it as she said mrs gray gave such a detail of her observations and of unquestionable facts as left the truth indeed in little doubt and margaret said mr hope in a troubled voice do you know anything of her views of my conduct margaret is not so easily seen through as hester said mrs gray an assertion from which mr hope silently dissented Margaret, appearing to him the most simple-minded person he had ever known, lucid in her sincerity, transparent in her unconsciousness, he was aware that Mrs. Gray had been so occupied with Hester as not to have been open to impression from Margaret. Margaret is not so easily seen through as Hester, you know, and she and I have never talked over your conduct confidentially. But if Margaret does not perceive the alteration in her sister and the cause of it, It can only be because she is occupied with her own concerns. That is not like Margaret, thought Mr. Hope. However, she does see it, I am sure, for she has proposed their return to Birmingham, their immediate return, though their affairs are far from being settled yet, and they do not know what they will have to live upon. They promise to stay till October, too, and we are only half through August yet. Margaret can hardly have any wish to leave us on her own account considering whom she must leave behind it is for hester's sake i am confident there is no doubt of the fact mr hope your honour is involved i repeat you have won this dear girl's affections and now you must act as a man of conscience which i have always supposed you to be mr hope was tempted to ask for further confirmation from the opinions of the people who were about hester but he would not investigate the degree of exposure which might have taken place even if no one agreed with mrs grey this would be no proof that her conviction was a wrong one it might happen through hester's successful concealment of what she must be striving to suppress mrs grey urged him about his honour and conscience more closely than he could bear he faintly begged her to leave him he obtained from her a promise that she would inform no person of what had been said and she again assured him that neither hester nor any one else had the remotest idea of her speaking as she had done this evening on his part mr hope declared that he should reflect on what had passed and act with the strictest regard to duty as in mrs grey's eyes his duty was perfectly clear this declaration was completely satisfactory she saw the young people with her mind's eye settled in the corner house which belonged to mr Rowland and was delighted that she had spoken as soon as she was gone mr hope would discover she had little doubt that he had loved hester all this time without having been conscious what the attraction had really been and in a little while he would be thankful to her for having smoothed his way for him with these thoughts in her mind she bade him good night just as mr grey drove up to the door she whispered once more that he was as dear to her as a son and that this was the reason of her having spoken so plainly. How are you this evening, Hope? said Mr. Gray from the doorway. On the sofa, eh? Don't rise for me, then. Rather done up, eh? Ah, I was afraid you were for getting on too fast. Bad economy in the end. You will be glad to be rid of us, so I shall not come in. Take care of yourself, I beg of you. Good night. In what a state of mind was Hope left? His plain-speaking motherly friend little guessed what a storm she had raised in a spirit, usually as calm as a summer's morning. There was nothing to him so abhorrent as giving pain, nothing so intolerable, an idea as injuring any human being, and he was now compelled to believe that through some conduct of his own, some imprudence, in a case where imprudence is guilt, he had broken up the peace of a woman whom though he did not love he respected and warmly regarded his mind was in too tumultuous a state for him to attempt to settle with himself the degree of his culpability he only knew that he was abased in his own sense of deep injury towards a fellow creature in the same breath came the destruction of his hopes hopes of which till the moment he had been scarcely conscious With regard to the one on whom his thoughts had been really fixed, he had pledged himself to act strictly according to his sense of duty. His consolation, his refuge in every former trial of life, since the days of childhood, had been in resolving to abide faithfully by the decisions of duty. In this he had found freedom, in this he had met strength and repose, so that no evil had been intolerable to him. But what was his duty now? Amidst the contradictions of honor and conscience in the primest case, where should he find his accustomed refuge? At one moment he saw clearly the obligation to devote himself to her, whose affection he had gained. Thoughtlessly and carelessly, it is true, but to other guys purposely. At the next moment the sin of marrying without love, if not while loving another, rose vividly before him, and made him shrink from what an instant before seemed clear duty the only hope was in the possibility of mistake which might yet remain the whole could not be mistake without Hester and enderby and margaret and all mrs Grey's convictions some of all this must be true the probability was that it was all true and if so he could almost repine that he had not died when his death was expected then he should not have known all this injury and woe then he should not have had to witness margaret's love for another then hester's quiet grief would have melted away with time unembittered by reproach of him no one had till this hour loved and relished life more than he yet now his gladsome being caught himself mourning that he had survived his accident he roused himself from this but all was fearful and confused before him he could see nothing as it was and as it ought to be he could decide upon nothing he must take time he must be deliberate upon this the most important transaction of his life thus he determined as the last remains of twilight faded away in his apartment and the night air blew in chill from the open window he was so exhausted by his mental conflict as to be scarcely able to rise to close the window and retire to rest There was one hope, familiar as sunshine to his eyes, but usually feeble, still abiding in his mind for comfort, that he should, sooner or later, clearly discern what it was his duty to do. All was at present dark, but this light might flow in. He would wait, he would not act till it did. He did wait, for many days he was not seen in any of the haunts to which he had begun to return. The answer to inquiries was that Mr. Hope was not so well, and wished for entire quiet. Everyone was anxious, Hester was wretched, and Mrs. Gray extremely restless and uneasy. She made several attempts to see him, but in no instance did she succeed. She wrote him a private note, and received only a friendly verbal answer, such as all the world might hear mr hope did wait for his duty to grow clear in the accumulating light of thought he decided at length how to act and he decided wrong not for want of waiting long enough but because some considerations intruded themselves which warped his judgment and sophisticated his feelings he decided upon making the great mistake of his life nothing had ever been clearer to his mind than the guilt of marrying without love no man could have spoken more strongly, more solemnly than he, on the presumption, the dishonorableness, the profligacy of such an act. But he was unaware how a man may be betrayed into it, while he was neither presumption, nor treachery, nor profligacy in his thoughts. Hope went through a world of meditation during the days of his close retirement. Some of his thoughts were superficial, and some deceived him, He considered margaret lost to him he glanced forwards to his desolation when he should lose the society of both sisters an event likely to happen almost immediately unless he should so act as to retain them he dwelt upon hester's beauty her superiority of mind to every woman but one whom he had known her attachment to himself her dependence upon him he pondered these things till the tone of his mind was lowered and too many superficial feelings mingled with the sacredness of the transaction, and impaired its integrity under the influence he decided what to do. He had no intention, all this while, of taking Mrs. Gray's word for the whole matter, without test or confirmation. From the beginning he was aware that his first step must be to ascertain that she was not mistaken, and this was his first step. There were two obvious methods of proceeding— one was to consult mr grey who stood in the place of guardian to these girls as to the probability of his success with hester in case of his proposing himself to her the other was to ask the same question of margaret the advantage of speaking to mr grey was that he might not be bound to proceed in case of mr grey differing from his lady's view of the case but then mr grey was perhaps unaware of the real state of hester's mind from margaret there was certainty of hearing nothing but the truth however little of it her feelings for her sister might allow her to reveal but such a conversation with her would compel him to proceed all retreat would be cut off after it and he naturally shrank from converting with margaret of all people on this subject but hope was equal to any effort which he thought a matter of duty and he resolved not to flinch from this he would speak first to mr grey and if mr grey did not undertake to answer for hester's indifference he would seek an interview with margaret if margaret should encourage his advances on her sister's behalf the matter was decided he should have a wife who might be the pride of any man whom it would be an honour to any man to have attached if as was still just possible margaret should believe that her sister felt no peculiar regard for him He thought he might imitate so much of the truth as, without offering her feelings on her sister's account, would secure for him freedom to reconsider his purposes. No man disliked more than he so circuitous a method of acting in the most important affair of life. He had always believed that, in the case of a genuine and virtuous attachment, there can or ought to be nothing but the most entire simplicity of conduct in the parties, no appeal to anybody each other, no seeking of an intervention where no stranger ought to intermeddle with the joy but the present affair, though perpetually brightening before Hope's fancy, could not for a moment be thought of as of this kind. And here the circuitous method, which had always appeared disgusting to his imagination, was a matter of necessity to his conscience. End of chapter 11